It is good to see you this morning. It's, it's uh, man, I just, I, I love Sunday. I, I was asked by one of the younger kids, why are you standing at the door? I said, this way I could see people when they come in. I, I don't want to miss anybody. And I know I miss some folks, but, but I love, I, I just love to see all of you as you come in. Please forgive me if I get your name wrong. We're praying for my brain. Someday that, that some of those things stick and, and, uh, uh, like to have that repaired anyway. I, I, I'm looking forward to that day. Jesus comes back, new body. I'm pretty sure there's a new brain with it. So a functional, never forgetting brain. So that, that will, that'll be great. Uh, one of the main messages or the main message of, of this congregation of, it ought to be of the church is Jesus, right? And, and one of the, the most important messages surrounding Jesus, besides just his salvation, is that Jesus is coming again. Well, we're, we're, we're stating that, we believe that, uh, as a church, we're anticipating his return. Now, over the years, I've, I've had a lot of people come up to me, especially in, in various times. They'll come up and say, well, do you think Jesus is coming soon? 9-11 was one of those times where people were asking, hey, you know, under the circumstances, we see what's happening with, uh, with the world right then, that we were attacked and and, and that ugliness is Jesus coming again. I mean, just recent events. I mean, the pandemic and other things, uh, including, you know, uh, uh, political upheaval, just some of the, the, the greatest ugliness. And speaking of ugliness, it just seems like sin continues to increase. And, and, and you know, societies ignoring, turning their backs on God also seems to be increasing. And therefore, people ask that question. What, is Jesus coming soon? You know, and, and from September 11th, so many, 20, 20 some years ago till, till today, I always have the same answer. Yes. <laughs> that is the anticipation of the church. Hopefully, hopefully today. Matter of fact, the church is called to anticipate his coming and pray for his coming. Oh, 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 even, even now, Lord Jesus, you know, Come. Come. You know, and it is that anticipation that, that we should have. Um, in, in our passage today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 25. The, the series Unexpected has just been uh, uh, some selected prof, uh, parables that Jesus told. And, and some of those, there's, there's big question marks around. You know, what is, what is Jesus saying? This one is told around uh, Matthew chapter 24, 25, where a lot of parables and discussions have been made concerning the end of all things. Early part of chapter 24, the, the disciples are noticing, they're in, they're in Jerusalem, they're noticing the magnificence of the temple, and they're, they're trying to call Jesus' attention. Hey, what, what, what do you think of this? And Jesus' response to them is there's going to be a time uh, the, day, the day is coming when not one stone is left upon another, meaning the temple is going to be destroyed. And so that's, that's ahead. And, and so they ask a question that actually, time-wise, we're talking about different events, like the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of all things and Jesus' return. Now, when is that going to happen? Well, Jesus answered the question all throughout number 24, but when it comes to the end of all things, that anticipation of, of Jesus and his return, uh, he actually says in 24, let me read for you the, this passage. He just said in, 20, in, in 35, 
Heaven and earth will pass away. In verse 36, he said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before uh, the flood, people were eating and drinking and they were marrying and they were giving in marriage up to the day of Noah entering the ark. They had no idea. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and and, and took them all away. That is how it will be on the coming of the Son of Man. We, we know that, right? But we still ask the question, well, when do you think he's coming? <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think the answer for the church is still right any day now. Any day now. Today, maybe this afternoon, maybe throughout the week, perhaps within this year. We, we just don't know. So our answer, I believe the correct answer is this, any day now. Anybody ask you, just say any day. No matter what's happening in this world, uh, uh, even in the peace, in the calm, when's Jesus coming? Any day now. That, now, Matthew 25, Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable that's really important. He tells a, a parable about preparedness for that day. Preparedness for that day. The, this idea of him coming, it just we just don't know. He tells a parable at the end of 24 about you know, a, a faithful servant and also a disobedient servant. The disobedient servant has this in mind. So, well, he, he's not coming for a long time. I'm just going to treat the servants the way I want to. I'm going to just do whatever. And then the parable says, and then his master shows up. It's going to be that kind of a surprise, I believe, to, to many of us, except in, Except if you kind of have that attitude, is any day now. That kind of attitude. All right, let's read this parable. Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. This is the parable of the ten virgins. Maybe you've heard of it. Begins at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up, And trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. That's our message today. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it's that message of be prepared. He's, he's focusing on a wedding, 
uh, that's taking place, or the, the parable is about a wedding. Now, it's, it's not like weddings we have today. The expectation of, or a common wedding for us today lasts within a day. I don't know too many that goes beyond a day. You know, you come, there's the ceremony where there's the, the giving of the rings, well, the vows, the rings, and, you know, song and all kinds of fluff. And then, then the next thing is the, the ceremonial picture taking, which is all important. You're not married unless you have the ceremonial picture taking. And then, then the reception, which is a celebration overall. I mean, that's, that, that seems to be common to me of the weddings we have today. Now, the weddings in Jesus' time were different. They're, they're quite a bit different in that they lasted sometimes for days and even into weeks. The celebration. Could you imagine paying for that? Some of you are paying such high prices just for a one-day wedding, but they, they went into several days in, within just the celebration of the wedding. Remember the, the miracle in Canaan, the, the, the wine that ran out? Someone thought, well, they drank it all at once. Well, not necessarily. There was probably some days and that going on. Uh, here, here's, here's how this wedding began. The wedding actually began when the groom left his residence, his home. And he made the trip to the bride's house, probably the father of the bride's house, to, to pick her up or to gather her to himself. And, and then there was a parade or a procession from the bride's house to the groom's house where all the festivities were going to take place at the groom's home. Now, it's important to let you know that, that time is a little different back in Judea or in, in those days than it is for us. Our, our day actually begins at midnight, right? 12 o'clock midnight. For, for them at that time, and at this time, it actually began about 6 o'clock in the evening. That's the new day. I mean, it comes to 6 o'clock tonight, that, that's the beginning of Monday. Sunday actually began at 6 o'clock last night. Six hours difference. But, but that's the reason for the, the need for the lamps. That's why the virgins were bearing lamps. Because the procession from the bride's house to the groom's house, it was going to be dark. And everybody that's a part of the wedding party is going to have a lamp to light the way to the groom's home. And if you didn't show up with a lamp, more, it would be very, uh, very common to understand that you are a wedding crasher. And you shouldn't be a part of this. So, there goes the significance. In this, there are, there are five who are wise, who are prepared. And there are five who are foolish. We don't find out who is wise and foolish until, until the bridegroom arrives to pick up the bride. Listen, this morning, there's something that I think is so, so absolutely serious that we're dealing with in this parable that Jesus tells it is significant. We need to be ready. As we wait for the return of Jesus, as we anticipate his coming, we must not find ourselves unprepared. We cannot find ourselves unprepared for that day. We cannot have the door with all this anticipation and looking forward to and then have the door shut on our face. I don't know of anything that would be more devastating. On, than on that day. I want to just go through each of the, first of all, the foolish. The point I want to make about the foolish is many are going to expect to enter into that door, but will be turned away. 
The sad part of this, this whole parable, is those who come to the door and knock on it, and he says, I don't know you. Many are going to come and, and think they're going to enter, but they're going to be turned away. That's the foolish. That's the foolish in the story that Jesus tells. And, and the very reason that they're turned away is because they were unprepared. They didn't have the oil that was necessary. Who are the foolish? Who are the foolish? Uh, the, the parable, when Jesus is telling this, is not talking about those who refuse uh, the wedding banquet. They're, they're those who showed up for the wedding. They intended to be a part of that procession. They intended to enter in with the bridegroom. So we're not talking about those who absolutely flatly reject, uh, reject God, reject his Savior. That's not who Jesus is referring to in this parable. He's talking about people who believe in Jesus. He, for those, they, they showed up expecting to be a part of the wedding party. And, and they, they themselves felt like they were Jesus' followers. They believed themselves to be Jesus' followers. Matter of fact, they came to the door and what they say? Lord, Lord. They knew him. Open to us. Again, they considered themselves to be followers of Jesus. I believe we could learn this specific truth from this. It is possible to claim that I am a Christian. I'm a believer. And then be rejected at the door when Jesus comes. It's possible to claim all day long, I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. Uh, I, am a, I am a Christian. And then be rejected at the door. Because we became we came unprepared, unprepared. This, this idea of we see in the parable, it's because they failed to bring extra oil. He, the, the groom delayed, took time. And, and when he did come, oh no, my lamp is going out. I need oil. Give me some of yours. No, you, you need to go buy some for yourself. We might not have enough to, to make the journey as well. So they had to go and, and, and make all those preparations at the time. Now, it, it, it's interesting. It's not just the claims, but in Matthew 7, 22, uh, Jesus tells us in the same way. He said, you know, they come to the door. They're knocking on the door. He said, Lord, Lord, let us in. And, and, and 22, he says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not uh, uh, drive out demons in your name? Did we not... Uh, perform miracles in your name? That, those seem like amazing things that, that Jesus definitely has to be involved in, right? We would think, but they received the same answer. I never knew you. I, I don't know what you would be putting into your excuse when the door shut in your face. Oh, Jesus, man, I got in the baptistry and I was baptized or, or I attended church on a regular basis. Matter of fact, I've got a star in, you know, that, that the preacher gave me for regular attendance for a whole year. I, I, I don't know where we turn. You know, I, I you know, help people. I did you know, I, a lot of list of I dids. But along with our claims, just doing stuff for Jesus is not what secures us into uh, that place amongst others. Who are, who are welcome into that wedding feast. Oh, there. Sorry, I got lost. I, so, so what is needed? That's the question I think we come to. What is, what is absolutely needed that, that we're going to be received in? What does it mean for you and I to be prepared and ready as the wise 
were in this parable. And that's, that's the fact, that's the truth. The wise, uh, the wise came and, and they came and they entered because they were prepared. What does that mean? There are some just simple things that I think we need to review. Uh, what, what is it that says, oh, I, I deserve entrance? Number one is that you know, those who are going to enter definitely, Jesus is their Savior. He is the only means for entrance, right? That's what we know. It is only through Jesus... Not, not through any other means. It is only through Jesus we're going to enter. Peter said that in, in Acts chapter 4 and 12 where he was making a defense. He said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only access. So it is receiving Christ, believing in and receiving Jesus as our Savior. We know that, Right? That, that's step number one. We talk about it all the time, and we celebrate the, the, the Lord's Supper for that reason, reassuring and, and, and reminding ourselves that very fact. Jesus is our salvation. But in that, the foolish made the same decision. They, amongst those who had the door closed to him had that, made that same decision, I should say. Sorry. They made the same decision. They would claim again to have Jesus in their life. And it really poses for us a serious problem. It is more than claiming that you know Jesus and doing a lot of Jesus things. But in this parable, it is, does Jesus know you? The one who opens the door. Does Jesus, I, I know you, I could say, Lord, Lord. But when the door is closed on my face and he says, I do not know you. Well, what's the problem? What's the problem? There's something else. It's, it's claiming Jesus as our Savior. He's the entrance in. But this also is very significant to our salvation. Uh, and, and, and those who are able to enter in, they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is an important point. Some would say, oh man, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the oil. And that's not a bad observation. And that's not a direct, bad direction at all. Let's look at the, the very significance of the Holy Spirit. It is through Jesus. It is only through Jesus that believers then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Correct? Uh, Acts 2.38, one of the, the very beginning places, uh, when, when they're asking, they're seeking, well, what must we do? Well, repent and be baptized, and then you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. But that's not the only thing. And then you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the significance of the presence of the Holy Spirit in those of us who receive Christ? Let, let me just, I, I would love to spend a lot more time this morning. I thought, man, this is, this is just going to be scraping the surface. But, but Paul told the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Listen carefully to what he says. He's talking to these Ephesians. And if you are familiar with this letter of the Ephesians, he is talking about what an amazing salvation we have in the first three chapters. In, in, in chapter 1, verses 13, 14, where he's speaking to them, you know, these believers, he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There's significance about the Holy Spirit. What is he upon us? He is a seal upon us, is what it says. A seal, that's the Holy Spirit. He is a seal marking us. Uh, some might think, well, it's, it's like a brand upon a cow. I don't like to go that way. Or it's the seal upon a letter that makes it official, that makes it authoritative, that makes it authentic. The Holy Spirit upon your life is that mark upon you that you belong to him, that, that you are God, that you are God's. You belong to him. Now, also, Romans 8 is another passage where he speaks about the Holy Spirit. Actually, begins earlier than that, way back in 6, where he begins to, to talk about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. You know, the flesh is where we used to be. Living according to the world, living according to the fleshly things of this world. There's a big difference between that and living according to the spirit we've been given. I, I encourage you to read chapter 8 when you have time later today. Write that down. But in verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. That's where we used to be before Jesus. But are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's a powerful statement. Let me read that again. If in, uh, and if anyone does not have that spirit, that Holy Spirit uh, of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Disconnected. Later on, verse 14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. How important is the Holy Spirit? How significant is the gift that we've been given and that we've received Jesus, he says we receive not only forgiveness, but we receive the Holy Spirit. What, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he's a helper and he's an advocate in, in, within our lives. The Holy Spirit in what we just heard, it gives us security. He is a guarantee for the inheritance. He gives authenticity. He is that seal upon us. Through, through the Holy Spirit, we can identify that we belong to God. We are His children. Through the Holy Spirit, He also gives us authority. We have the authority. What? Through, through, through God. That, that, and, and through that authority, He empowers us for ministry. He empowers us to be the church. And when I say each of us individually, I mean, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 and look there at the significance of what the Holy Spirit does in each one of us. Maybe it's in faithfulness. Maybe it's in healing. Maybe it's in, in, in different types of, of giftedness. But, but the Holy Spirit is active in that we are working together for the benefit of what? For God and his kingdom and for the overall spreading of the message of Christ. The Holy Spirit is significant to us. We need to pay attention. Well, how do we know that, that uh, the, the Holy Spirit is working within us? How, how do we know of his presence? Uh, some might tell you that, hey, if you speak in tongues, 
then, you know, only, only those with the Holy Spirit are going to speak in tongues. That is not scriptural. That's not within the Bible. And, and if you hear that message, do not believe it. It's not within the scriptures. Here's where it's authentic. Galatians chapter 5. We talked about this, brought it up last week because it was significant then. It's significant now. It's the transforming part of our lives. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Conviction of sin. Continual. How many have been convicted of sin here recently? Maybe something that you've done and, and, and you, you go, oh my goodness, I need forgiveness. Hopefully it's happened here regularly for, you know, anybody happened this week? All right, I just want to be honest. Has the Holy Spirit been saying, hey, listen, there, there's a sin you need to take care of? How about last Sunday? Anybody? The Holy Spirit's place is to convict us of our sinfulness. Even while I'm walking and I see something within the Word, He brings a conviction upon me in order for me to change. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit working in me is a change agent. He is the one that's going to recreate me, redesign me, make me what God wants me to be. So man, there's, there's that paying attention to the Holy Spirit. He, he's working within me, convicting me of sinfulness. And guess what he's producing within me? That fruit, that fruit of the Spirit. Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, he says, it is, it is this. The fruit is love, joy, peace, kindness, or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that, that ought to be increasing in our life. If they're not, what evidence do we have? I, I do believe it, it's also about where we're finding those places of ministry, where, where the Holy Spirit comes in and he gifts us. Are we finding those places? Are we finding those places within us and, and being directed Say, hey, and, and I'm not just talking about ministry. Yeah, we need someone to mow the lawn. I'm not talking about that ministry. I'm, I'm talking about ministry. It could be, man, ministering to people at, at Valley View. It could be ministering to your neighbors or reaching out to your neighbors. And Is there a need? Is there some way that I could share Christ? Maybe, maybe to begin by filling some needs within my community. Someone at work or, or things like that. It, it is... The Holy Spirit is actively working in you to be what Jesus told us that we are, a light and salt into this world. For someone to come and claim Jesus and never make any changes, the Holy Spirit is not working in him. There's going to be evidence of the Holy Spirit in his transforming work in our lives. We cannot stay the same and have God's Spirit working and dwelling within us very much compared to what I said last week. But man, how important is that? The Holy Spirit is, is very much a part of, of our preparedness. And when we show up at the door and we think, well, uh, here I am, I've claimed Jesus, and yet I've not been active, or the Holy Spirit has not been active in my life, how is he going to recognize you? I believe he recognizes it because he gives us that spirit, his spirit within us. And that transforming work is going on. One other thing I think is important. Oh, definitely Jesus. Definitely that gift of the Holy Spirit is part of that. But third, it's this. Their hearts are dedicated to God. 
Those who, are, uh, those who are prepared, they're well prepared because they're anxious, they're looking forward to, and, and they're spending their, their lives dedicated to the God who they were called to love, honor, and cherish. Or, yeah, that's wedding. But, but to, to love with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Old Testament as well as new. Now, when, when we think about this, I, to, to say God has expectations, for those people he saves, who he's preparing for himself. God has expectations. I, I am frustrated by the number of people who live and act as if God has no expectations. Oh yeah, you're saved. Go ahead and live your life however you want. Then, then again, you're claiming Jesus. You're not living for Jesus. There's expectations. When Paul says to the Philippians... Live up, or when, when Paul tells the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying, you know, create your own means of salvation. That's been created. We're, we are saved in Jesus Christ. We are given a gift. That's grace. We don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve the forgiveness. We don't deserve God's indwelling within us. That can only happen because of Jesus' cleansing blood, Right? And, and for us to say, oh, God really doesn't have any expectations. Numbers of people who don't go to church, who believe in God, just say, I don't need the church. What do you think the church is for? What do you think the church is for? Man, we need each other. I don't mean just this whole group, but, but you need brothers and sisters who you're close to, who are going to encourage you and strengthen you. And, 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 and when you share, you know, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in this area, they're going to come along and hold you accountable. The church is about building up. Matter of fact, here's our statement as a church. We exist to foster the family of God. We've identified that, and we've been moving forward to do that. Discipleship, which takes a long time. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about people who are taking commitments and going through uh, some of the things that, that, that a lot of us didn't do as disciples. And they're learning scripture, and they're learning prayer, and they're learning how to, to be involved, find their places of ministry. And, and, and we're going to continue to grow in that area. But that's who we are. We are a church that wants people, when they come to the door, to be prepared. To be prepared. To be received, that the door will be wide open. You say, welcome. And, they call, and he calls you by name. And it, and it comes because it began with Jesus, his forgiveness, and then to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, and then hearts that are dedicated to him. I believe that's the preparedness we need in, in order to, to uh, uh, be ready and prepared for his return. Are you ready? <laughs> are you prepared? If, I, I tell you what, the Holy Spirit's active right now upon your heart, you know, if, if you're wondering, say, well, am I there? Hey, ask. Oh, God, am I ready? Am I prepared? Uh, perhaps we haven't even received Jesus. That's been something, oh, we got time for. Stop it. There is no preparation when you just say, oh, there'll be some day. I'll get older. When things slow down, <laughs> there might not ever be a day. There might ever be a day. I remember uh, as a teenager 
finding myself worried time and time again when I thought about the return of Jesus. You know what? I wasn't ready. If I was worried, and I thought as soon as he showed up and I woke up and I said, oh no, I'm not ready. And I have to go prepare, guess what? If Jesus came right now, would you think, oh, I've got to do some repenting? Oh, i got to do some rearranging? Then you're not ready. <laughs> Does Jesus know you? That's the big question. Does Jesus know you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for your word. Lord, your word is true. And, and Father, to hear the precious messages of Jesus, especially even in these stories, Lord, it speaks truth to us today. Lord, for the Jews, they did not have that, that uh, opportunity. Uh, they had to do it through all the rules and laws, the heaviness of the laws that only brought condemnation. Today, Father, we have the opportunity through Jesus to receive forgiveness for our, for our flesh, for the sinful acts. And Father, not only has he given us that opportunity, but he's given us your spirit to guide, lead, and, and lead us into this life. Uh, and Father, we're called to follow after the spirit, to live after your spirit. Help strengthen us, Father. Help us, Lord, to be more in your word and to, and to bring us to prayer and bring us to those places of ministry where we could see the spirit active and working in us to, to change the world around us for your, on your behalf. God, you're good to us. We love you as a church. We ask, Father, that you bless us in, in our overall purpose of fostering these people on your behalf, helping them to grow, to strengthen, find places where they too could turn and help others to grow and learn and even come to Jesus. Lord, we absolutely are dependent upon you you are God. You supply everything we need. Humble us, Lord, and help us pursue you with all our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.